This 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 Let's be honest. Talking about our faith, it can get hard sometimes. Sometimes we get caught up in the world, but now the world will have to get caught up in us. We're here to talk about it. We're here to talk about our real faith. We're here to talk about the real God. For unapologetic apologetics everywhere, welcome to Tactical Faith Radio. Welcome to Tactical Tactical Faith Radio. This is Travis Koblenz, and I am here today uh, with Keelan Adams, uh, who has been associated with Tactical Faith for some time. Keelan, uh, you're not on the board, but you have been working with Tactical Faith for years. Why don't you tell us how long you've been with Tactical Faith and maybe a little bit about yourself? Okay, so my name is Keelan Adams, and I've been with uh, Tactical Faith for uh, since 2017, May of 2017, and um, I I have a great interest in apologetics. Um, I'm a Bible college student and a current seminary student, and um, so I'm a husband of uh, to my wonderful wife. Uh, going uh, 11 going on 12 years and oh, wow. we have uh, five beautiful children i'm a pastor at a church called flatline church at chisholm and uh mm-hmm. s- some some writing some of my writing em- emphasis from the past would be dealing with the uh, new apostolic reformation the nar uh the third wave movement and uh, the Word of Faith movement. So some of my new writing interests, uh, as far as apologetics is concerned, would be Black Hebrew, Israelism, uh, women in ministry, and also biblical justice and reconciliation. Um, So so yeah, I'll just leave it at that. Well, those, I mean, you've you've opened up a lot of of things to talk about. Um, Am I right that uh, the Black Hebrew... uh, movement they were part of those who were in that big fiasco in dc with those uh covington kids uh um that that i don't know that i don't know um i'm trying i'm trying to remember um any case well let's 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 kind of start at the beginning let's talk a little bit about your ministry in montgomery i know that you you worked at a private school for a while yes um i've got i've had the opportunity to spend some time with you at a racial reconciliation and uh and National Covenant uh, uh, Conference, which we'll probably talk about in a future podcast. We may we may hit a little bit of that uh, today, but I want to hear a little bit about what what the ministry is in Montgomery that you're doing, because I think that's very pertinent to a lot of the stuff that you're interested in and a lot of stuff that you can you have to say to us. So, um, tell us a little bit about, about that ministry. Okay, and and yes, I skipped over the part to where I have a four year background in classical. Uh, Christian education, mm-hmm. um, yeah, to where I taught uh, church history and also apologetics, biblical apologetics. So, Absolutely. like regarding the regarding the ministry in uh, in Montgomery, so Flatline Church at Chisholm is the name of the church. So that is based off the the name Flatline comes from uh, Romans six eleven, where it talks about uh, I reckon you. Uh, dead sin and lie to God through Christ mm-hmm. Jesus, and so the the message there that we're trying to send is that in order for you, to, in order for us um, as believers, in order for us to 
live, we must die. So, and, and that message go like we're constantly dying in order that we may attain life. And also for non-Christians, the message for them is that they must die to sin. Um, they must mm-hmm. turn away from sin uh, so that they can be reckoned uh, alive in God through Christ. Um, so you have the gospel message just intertwined in all of it, right in uh, Romans 6, 11. So that's flat line. That's where the flat line comes from. And so when we say at Chisholm, um, we're actually, we're specifically targeting uh, the Chisholm area. And uh, we, you know, uh, this is just gospel missions. Um, This is gospel missions. And we are just trying to get acquainted as much as possible with our 1.5 mile radius of our location. So we're trying, we're, we're seeking to, uh, by the power of God, we're seeking to master uh, that 1.5 mile radius, uh, w- you know, with the, with the gospel of Christ, uh, that men may, may glorify the Lord. So our mission, I- I'm going to tell you a little bit about the background of our, uh, of the Chisholm area. Absolutely. You, you must tell us about the background because that's a yeah. very interesting story. Yes, yes. And so, and this is why our mission is um, saving the lost, strengthening the weak, and then also helping the poor. And, you know, we we have a context in Chisholm. Uh, So the the way you spell it is C-H-I-S-H-O-L-M. This, this, this area here now, it, it, uh, it, it used to be a thriving, uh, predominantly white area, um, but a process called uh, that was implemented in America a long time, or like several decades ago, called uh, blockbusting and white flight, actually mm-hmm. changed the dynamic of the uh, of the Chisholm area to where instead of it being majority white, it is uh, now majority uh, African American, and so we're actually dealing with. Uh, you know, 71.2 uh, African-American population and and uh, 23.6% white and 3.8% Hispanic. Um, so the dynamics have, have totally changed. Um, and there were actually some churches, due to the racism and different things that existed there, there were some churches who, uh, and, and, you know, they, they were predominantly, uh, the, the members there were predominantly Caucasian. And they sought to not evangelize um, uh, the changing, that, like the new demographic that began to change. Like I would say, post 1970, um, they decided to just not engage them. Um, and then also, even to the point of not just allowing them to sit in different places in the congregation, but not allowing them in the congregation at all. Um, so you know, you have that background. So there's some animosity there right. uh, due to neglect um, and so many on so many different levels. Um, you know, it's plagued with vicious cycles of violence, drugs, prostitution. You have poverty like is, you know, like, like, my goodness, uh, you've never seen before. To declining health. We have poor graduation rates. And then uh, fatherless homes are seen like, I mean, it's almost like nothing you can imagine. 
Um, and so, you know, people place emphasis on places like Chicago and stuff like that. But when you look at this northern side of uh, Montgomery, it's, you know, it's, it's pretty tough. So I'm going I'm to I'm I'm note this. The per, app, the per capita income is, is a, as of 2018, the per capita income, so per individual, was like $15,700, you know, annually. Yeah. So that will bring us, like, if we look at a household income, that's why this median household income makes sense. The median mm-hmm. household income would be 29000 um, so, and then you have like, according to the, so these are recent demographics that I, that I ordered. Um, we have around about 36% of the people there are high school graduates. So, you know, when, when you look at all of this, uh, you, you're, you're seeing a lot of, just a lot of helplessness and hopelessness and, uh, you know, just people ju- just walking around and, just not knowing what to do, just you know, and 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 it's like they're fighting because they're they're like they're trapped, and then on top of that, they're trapped mentally and psychologically, and so it it, it really hampers their progress in so many different ways. Okay, um, this is yeah, this yeah. this is this is an interesting point. I, I wonder how you because this is. Uh, what you're talking about, it, it's interesting that, uh, and this isn't a criticism, but he, but hear me out here. You're talking about the importance of bringing the gospel into a particular neighborhood, and I think a lot of a lot of us Christians would say, "Listen, um, the gospel is important to save people's souls." Mm-hmm. What you're talking about are now you're suddenly talking about economics, education, those sorts of things. What do those what do those and again i think most christians are a little bit deeper than what i'm presenting right now nevertheless what do those things have to do with the gospel like why are you focused on these things are these merely ways of understanding the kind of people so that you know how to present the gospel you know if they're relatively poor relatively uneducated then you present a gospel that's more attuned toward the poor and that educated or does the gospel have something to do with with assisting uh, with with uh, with those who are, uh, I think the language you're using was were trapped psychologically and and economically and so forth, trapped into these sorts of situations. Right, and that's a that's a very good question. That is a very good question because you know that calls into question. Okay, again, what you were uh, focused on uh, in the question is it j- like this is just for you know, this is just so the gospel is just for soul salvation. It shouldn't expand into all these other different areas. Um, but when, you know, when we, when we look at the gospel, the gospel, it, of course it, it saves the soul. So we look at that as men, we want men to be reconciled unto the Lord. Um, and we want them to ultimately glorify God. But it like in the midst of this, in the midst of the glorification of 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 God and having him to be the pinnacle of everyone's life, you know, there are several different uh there are several different elements that scripture talks about that the gospel actually empowers us to do. Um so like for example, 
the uh, like if we go if we go for example to to the book of Titus and we see good deeds good works good works good works good deeds being mentioned so many and, and Titus is only three chapters and we see uh, Paul concluding in the end with saying our people must learn to engage in good deeds to meet pressing needs so that they will not be unfruitful and now right. now check this part out. It says that the grace of God has appeared. So when we're talking about the gospel, grace of God, of course, is wrapped in that. Titus chapter 2, verse 11 says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. And then it says, Instructing us to deny ungodliness, worldly desires, and live sensibly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. And then he talks about how he gave himself for us uh, to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. And so with these things that I noted here, cycles of violence, drugs, mm -hmm. prostitution, poverty, declining health, poor graduation rates, fatherless homes, now the gospel is going is looking to redeem that as well, um, because and and even provision, even provision for one's home. So one who does not provide for his own is worse than a what? Person unbeliever, yeah. Right, an unbeliever, especially like someone who is unwilling to do that. So mm -hmm. we want like we, as we look in scripture, we're looking at the totality of it. So the gospel, yeah, just like it says here, if we look at one verse, like uh, Titus 2, 11, it says, obviously, that the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. But it also says a number of other things, you know, right. when it talks about, uh, I mean, it, and it even wrapped in doctrine and then talking about teaching us to engage in good deeds. And that will bring that that will cause uh, like young men even turning to respect their elders, which we see that greatly lacking. Young men being able to take their energy and invest in their own community. And so the like the gospel itself can reverse these things. And so we're, we're looking at the gospel as like the Lord wants to meet you where you are, in, like in your poverty, in your fatherlessness, in your prostitution and all this other stuff. And he wants he wants to work through and redeem this stuff. So. Yeah, I like I think I think uh, Christians, uh, perhaps uh, specifically Christian, if I can throw a little criticism at at us Americans a little bit here, I think we tend to have, especially if we've lived in comfortable circumstances, we tend mm -hmm. to have a uh, an Americanized, individualized sort of Christianity where my religion is sort of a private affair that I deal with. that really doesn't have a lot of impact on the way that I live my life, except, you know, I do worship God. I pray, I pray, I give a tithe, I'll give some money to charity. But for the most part, I live my life the normal way. There's no radical difference between, if you, if you saw two, two neighbors, one was a Christian and one was an atheist and you saw them living their lives, it would be very difficult to tell the difference. Mm. Um, I mean, there might be some difference on a few different things. Sunday morning, there's probably a little bit of difference. If you look at their economics, there might be, there's, there's some small differences, but for the most part, our lives are sort of religion is sort of kept private. And, right. uh, and right. that, that connects very closely with 
you know, the in my interior part is what is saved. My exterior part goes about its normal business. And there's a little bit of a, a hint of Gnosticism there, which I think humans have always been struggling with the idea that the non-physical part of me is saved and the physical part will be tossed and the physical God is not concerned about the physical part, the physical wow. world. He's just going to burn it up and throw it away anyway, wow. uh, which is, yeah. which that's weird. It's because Jesus spent a lot of his time healing people and so forth. So it seems sort of weird that he was doing useless ministry, which you know, I'm being sarcastic there. So, but let's, let's, let's dig at this a little bit because, um, uh, you know, we, we attended that, uh, the uh, Racial Reconciliation National Covenant Conference, and a lot of that had to do with uh, the relationship between uh, the relationship between groups of people, um, mm-hmm. the relationship between races, the, 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 the racist uh, history in the United States. Um, not that everything in the United States is bad, but we've had this history. We've had this history of racism. I mean, it's quite evident. Um, and, and we look at the, uh, as we look at it, we think what is, what is to be done about this? Um, what does, what does the church, does the church have a role to play in this? And, and what, what precisely is that role? What, what, what should be done? So there's, and the, the problem I'm having is that this is such a huge complex question but I'm not sure specifically what to ask. So I'm just going to kind of leave it open for you there. What, what do you think, what difference does, what would you want to be different in the way that the, the church as a whole um, responds to issues of racism or responds to this? Maybe, maybe, let me be a little more specific. So in this, in this neighborhood of Montgomery, you're dealing with significant poverty Um right. And it's a cycle that people are having a hard time getting out of. Right. What is, what kind of actions should the church be doing? And not necessarily just your church. I mean, other, I mean, the church as a whole or other churches that are nearby. Um, What do you think needs to be done? Right. Um, Well, so since I am, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a history guy. Um, so I, I love considering history. Mm-hmm. So I, w- I will say this right here. When I know that you, like, we're the church. We're the church. Uh, we're God's redeemed people. And mm-hmm. we're a redeemed community. So we're from all tribes, songs, nations, uh, on and on. Um, but in order for us to approach things in a, in in a very meaningful manner, I think it's reasonable for us to know our context. So, I mean, that's, that's pretty much like, I mean, Paul and Peter, Peter knew exactly, no, uh, let me say this, Paul, Paul was able to, I mean, you notice he was able to kind of flip flop a little bit. He knew his context. He was well-versed in the context of the Gentiles and well-versed in the context of his own people mm-hmm. being specifically from the tribe of Benjamin. And he, so he, he knew where he was and he knew how to approach the context and he knew what the people need. So he was well-learned. He was, or, or using old English 
He's a well-learned individual. And you even see him requesting from what I think it was Timothy when he was talking about, please bring me the parchments, like the books, and bring my coat as well, because I'm a little cold in this prison. But I want to continue studying. Like, I, w- I want to continue reading. Uh, I want to read, you know, re- devote myself to reading the scriptures, but also reading books. Like, I want to be, I, I want to be well acquainted with things and with my surrounding. And perhaps even when I get released out of this prison, I'll just go back to preaching the gospel in this particular context, in this setting. Mm-hmm. Um, having said all of that, n- knowing the context, and that's why I kind of spewed out a number of these, uh, uh, demog- like the demographics and the statistics, is knowing the context. So what we're dealing with here in Montgomery, as we kind of get down to the nuts and bolts of, all right, what should the churches down here do um when we look at history history informs us of how we can approach the future so family traditions like there are many there there are many strong families like when you see a solid structured family they have picture of grandpa hanging on the mantle they have relics from grandma from way back when reminding the children like look this is who you are this is what you come from like let's and and this this is what you need to know in order to move forward. Looking at history, even in the medical sphere, how in the world do I properly diagnose you? I need to look. This is this is why the doctors hand us a sheet and they say, "Look, go ahead and fill out your medical history." I need to know what what you come from. I need to know what 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 mama had. I need to know what daddy had. Did daddy have high blood pressure? What age? Did mommy have high blood pressure? What age? What about asthma? You know, so so I can properly diagnose what you're going through now and also the future. I'll know how to treat you. When we look at the when we look at the history, I, I think it's reasonable for us to look at the history of Montgomery in order for us to like know, like, okay, j- let's just lay it out. Because we also we can also learn from a spiritual side of Montgomery so that we can know how to spiritually engage Montgomery's future. We look at it and it's laced. I hate to say it, but you know, we received racism based off Montgomery, based off of racism, based off of slavery, based off of a, an economic system that uh, put certain individuals in the bottom, right? And then uh, allowed for many individuals from another uh, race of people to 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 have access to resources. Let me say that because I don't want to get into using all that white privilege stuff. I want to steer clear of all that. Um, so I, I like using other terms. If if you notice, I'm that kind of guy. Well, you know, I want to break the norm. But uh, we had certain racial groups who were almost to what it seems permanently locked into an underclass and another one, you know, you see them being able to gain access to like, if they so wanted it to uh, many resources. And so we have, we, we, we even see it. So even when, when housing, the, the, like the housing thing comes up, when houses are built throughout Montgomery, we had some car restrictive covenants that says, and, and many, uh, a good friend of mine was telling me about this yesterday, Travis, just yesterday to where her home 
has a restrictive covenant covenant on it from the from 1935, I think. Ooh. And it it talked about how African Americans are uh, not allowed to purchase this property. So in other words, they use the term Negro. Negroes are not allowed to purchase this property. They're banned from it because we want to put them in a certain area. And that's why they were cast over into the West and in the Northern flanks of Montgomery. Now you see so many different things that, that that's, you know, that, that has happened in the past that makes up of what is going on in Montgomery's today and also in the future. And so if we lay that out to the churches so that they can see like, look, this is, this is what was going on. And then on top of that, on top of that, you had people who were considered devout Christians who are active, like uh, Dr. James and Marion Sims, you know, from First Presbyterian Church, right? You know, one of our finest churches right here in Montgomery, uh, who actively participated in racism and, and then even performed these painful surgeries without anesthesia on uh, African slaves because Africans were considered animals. Right. And that's, and that's what, and so think about it. That's in the 1800s. Then when you move into the 1900s, African-Americans were still considered close to the animal kingdom because they're, they're banning them from resources regarding housing because that's where your wealth is. All right. Now, when we look at the layout, uh, so as churches can look at the layout of Montgomery, and see that, okay, we even have Christians who are actively participating in sin in not embracing the, the embracing the doctrine of the Imago Dei in people, then we something got to be fixed because something is obviously broken here because not only are we just, you know, dabbling into looking at social issues, but no, we're saying, we're literally saying that the Christian church has been actively, hear me on this, Working against a biblical doctrine that is in scripture, the Imago Dei, that many of us who, who, who you know, we love the reform era, right? <laughs> we worked against it and we were passive. Uh, some of us were passive towards that, while many went headlong into it actively. And so that, hey, th that's the brokenness right there. We have found ourselves in like in passivity, we found ourselves sinning against the God of heaven and earth. So the question is, okay, churches, are we still engaging in this? And, and, um, and, and if we are, <laughs> we need to be challenging ourselves on that because we may be the very ones who can find ourselves, um, you know, working against God. And then on top of that may even find ourselves to be like, false churches that we would see the examples in, in the book of revelation. So see that, see that gets touchy Travis, yeah. but leave it right there so that, you know, you can, uh, you can ask me a few more questions. Yeah. Well, this is, I think this is excellent. I think one of the, one of the key elements that perhaps, uh, and I mean, we could, we could go really far, maybe not far afield, but I think we could, we could have, you know, uh, a one hour excursus just on the idea of the Imago Dei how we how we reference it even in our understanding of salvation and so on and so forth and how that could intersect with the issues of racism and so on and so forth and and even even uh even just more day to day how we how we don't i mean we do this on in terms of large categories of people but i think we do it we even do it to our neighbors to some extent and there's so there's this issue of of you know 
for example, I think I think in some some of our views of salvation, I'm just going to mention this quickly because I want I want to get to talking. I want to ask you a couple more questions. Um, mm-hmm. I think in many ways we we speak of salvation in such a way that the Omago date doesn't even exist anymore. We believe we lost. We don't say it, but it's almost like we believe we lost it with the fall, and therefore we this this emphasis on the and I've seen this in, in so many of my former students in particular. Um, their emphasis on them being just trash. I'm just trash, and God God saves me by grace when I'm just complete trash. And right. that that affects them personally, but that kind of view is a dangerous view because then you might look around you and say, all humans are trash. And it's easier right. for you to emphasize, like to not care for your neighbor because I'm so busy emphasizing how evil humanity is. And then you could, it's just one step further. And, and this is maybe just a little bit sloppy thinking on my part, but it's one step further to say, those people are complete trash. I mean, we're all trash, but those people are really trash. You know, and so there's... Right. But but the right. key, the key element is that the key is that we've forgotten the image of God, exactly, and, yeah. or we've connected the image of God with somebody that looks a particular way, whether that's physical characteristics, or they drive the right kind of vehicle, or whatever. But in the past, it's clearly been connected with physical characteristics, and that's uh, that's that's a worldly way of looking at things that has infected the church. Um. So, so you're, you're about to, so I'm going to shut up about that, but you're about to start writing. We, we've already seen, we've seen the first installment. We haven't put it out yet of, of, of you writing about the idea of biblical justice. And, uh, this is something that's been weighing on me. Um, even as this, uh, you know, white guy up in Birmingham, Alabama, I guess down in Birmingham compared to everywhere else I've lived, but, uh, um, dealing with with the with questions of power relations and so on and so forth and it's not that i necessarily want to fall into something like um uh you know what what we might call uh uh i've totally lost the term uh the idea that salvation is really about political revolution and so on and so forth right um we don't want to go i don't i think we need to avoid going all the way down that road but exactly right we also need to avoid making religion merely a non-physical or, or Christianity a non-physical thing. God cares for the whole person. Right. If that's the case, then what does biblical justice look like? Mm. That's getting straight to the point. <laughs> hey, and uh, so what does biblical justice look like? And what you pointed out, Regarding the Imago Day, uh, that was very important because you know when you when you when you, when you when you look at it on when you look at it in that regard, um, we forget that we were created to glorify God, and then Romans three twenty three says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Mm-hmm. All have, and so that that's that's where we get into this place because we were created in God's image to glorify Him. Now. Um, what does biblical justice, uh, what does biblical justice look like? Um, and I think this is something, my goodness, uh, I think this is something that it would take probably a series of, uh, of podcasts and writings for us, you know, as a tactical faith unit to address. Right. Um, but man, biblical justice, I mean, when you look at it, 
when I, whenever I do like in, in my in my research of just Israel and where they had fallen short, because if you notice Israel, you know they were they were being um, they they were not obeying the biblical like what the Lord had laid out in, in His law for uh, the Israelites to follow. They were not following that in regards to justice, and so you actually had it to where. Uh, the poor, the orphan, and the widow, like because they didn't really honor God. Because if you notice, Michael was like, "Man, y'all are, yeah, I, I'm standing as a prophet, and I'm sitting here telling y'all that you're you're bringing lambs that that have that that are have broken legs, and you know they're spotted when the Lord told you to have a snow white one, <laughs> and you know you you're not honoring the Lord. You, you're giving him the least of your possessions, not the best of the best, the cream of the crop." Um, so I think it was due to, to them lacking in, in that, like not glorifying God in a proper way to where it spilled over into the justice part to where the poor, they were being capitalized on the orphans, the orphans weren't being properly cared, uh, about, and then the widows, the widows, they were just being ran over, you know? And so when we look at those who are lowly, cause if you notice, the scripture in the Old Testament was mentioning that over and over, the lowly and then the afflicted or the destitute. And then it'll keep talking about in conjunction, the poor, the orphan and the widow. And so doing right by them, um, you know, of course, teaching them God's law and then and then sharing resources with them, teaching them the law of God, opening our homes to them and then and and then sh the the sharing of resources, for example, or in the foreigner, you know, the foreigner, right. the way they come in, they're they're going to be of a low status. For example, Ruth, Ruth and Boaz, Boaz being someone who is of high status, he's a godly man. Okay, he's he's following scripture, he's following the biblical law. He this man even understands the gospel. <laughs> if you look, if you look at all of Ruth, um, I mean, yeah, yeah. If you look at all of all of the book there, and so. This man sees this 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 uh this young lady who's a widow, and she's a foreigner, and she's a woman. She has three hits against her. She's gonna she I mean she's relegated to the underclass, and she'll end up staying there. And so what he, what does he do? He starts he sees her, he 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 and he hears about the situation, and then you see that heart of compassion because he understands. The law of God. Right. So that heart of compassion ends up spilling out on her. And this is before he even considers marrying her. He sees her as a foreigner, as a woman, and then as a widow. And so he's there. He's like, you know what? Uh, leave, leave the, the uh, you know, the excesses of the field. Leave it for her to glean it. Because I know that the word of God says to leave that for the poor so that they can glean. See, this man is already following scripture and and that and that is justice. And I bet if there was a case that came up against uh, Ruth, I bet Boaz would be one who, who would advocate for her at the gate where the court cases are handled. Right. So now when we transfer that, when we translate that into today's time and we see like when we're talking about biblical justice, looking at the past. And seeing all these different things, and and trust me, I can't mention 
everything because we would literally, I would, I would have to walk you through a 450 year period and especially like a 150 year period, specifically of Montgomery to where we'll have to talk about the different eras of lynching. We'll have to talk about medical experimentation. We'll have to talk about uh, convict leasing. My goodness. Mm-hmm. So those are different eras. Then we'll have to talk about the civil rights movement that occurred just a few decades ago. Then we'll have to talk about the crack cocaine epidemic. So see, and 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 we we ran, <laughs> you know, we're already 35 minutes yeah. on this podcast. So when we look at, so let's just sum all that up and say, looking at the past, knowing once again observing where we are because you notice when we talk about the covenants in the old testament uh uh, when it when it comes to repentance the prophets would take the people to the past and how the fathers have responded and then they'll start confessing the sins and they'll say look this is what we want to do going forward and then oh lord heal us and all these other things so as we can so when we observe when we really really look at the history of this place, like where we're at now. And we we look at who the lowly are and what has happened to them. And then what is going, and seeing that as an extension of what is going on right now, then it'll, it'll help us to, let's say, for example, when we see court cases come up, when we see uh, uh, those who are in need uh, and 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 being behind financially, and we know that okay, we know that the restrictive covenants would not allow African Americans to purchase certain homes and all this other stuff. We see that, and so they're behind. They don't, have, you know, the investment properties. They're they're behind on that regard in group economics. So what we can do, we can even train uh, those who are of low status, help them to know how to like how to care for themselves because they're being barred out of uh, like domains when it comes to economics. Yeah. And then on top of that, so that's another, uh, so court system, we're wrapped up in a, uh, you know, African-Americans are wrapped up in a court system so much. Um, and then also, you know, you, you got the, the economics, it just, it, it looks crazy. And then on top of that, uh, I mean, look at the like biblical, like when we're talking about justice and we look at, uh, you know who's being pulled over, who's being stopped, and where the where the uh, police force knows to go when it comes to who's probably more than likely not going to have a driver's license. We already know. Those of us who live in Montgomery, we already know where to go in order to stop something. You can just pick somebody and stop them. They're, if they live in this area, they're more than likely not going to have a driver's mm-hmm. license. Yeah. Yep. So, the- so, so when you look at all this stuff, the, you know these are just small ways. To where when we're when we're talking about justice and the and and the the weak or the poor being capitalized upon, these are just small ways to where we can we can say okay we want to go in and we want to try to help them in a way that will not hurt them, but yeah so go ahead Charles. Yeah. No so th- this is good because a lot of a lot of times there's a lot of animosity when we begin to talk about these sorts of issues and and you find uh, divisions within within political parties obviously but also. Those, those filter into the church. And I think a lot of it is built upon uh, a sort of like a sense of that there's a whole bunch of guilt here and there's not a clear positive way forward. And I think what you're presenting right. is uh, you're not saying, hey, you need to vote a particular way. 
even though that may that yeah. may be a part of this um that's something that's something for us to that we may need to discuss in the future uh right. but i think i think what you're what you're talking about is the church we have this scripture that has so many great exemplars of both failure and success and and yeah. it's it's and these successes particularly if you look in the new testament um you see you see acts too right this this spirit filled community where the manifestation of the spirit was most obvious in the fact that they cared for one another and that's that right. seems to me right. to be the beginning point and part of caring for one another is really attending to the issues that we wrestle with um and and and, and yeah. recognizing those and so so uh, I think I think this has been great, and I look forward to hearing more from you, both in terms of writing, and we need to get you uh, talking on more of these podcasts. Um, uh, where can people go to? Is there a place where people can go to learn about your ministry and perhaps to see how they can partner with you uh, in the work you're doing in Montgomery? Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, so, Flatline Church at Chisholm. You know, we have the Facebook page, uh, Flatline Church at Chisholm, and we will be rolling out, you know, more than likely we'll end up doing Instagram uh, in the near future. And uh, we are working on currently con constructing the uh, Flatline Church website. Um, so it's like it's under construction right now. And um, but we we put a lot of our news on social media uh, through the Flatline Church at Chisholm uh, a Facebook page. And um, my, my name and also Pastor Dwayne Rembert. So once again, that's Dwayne Rembert mm -hmm. um, and, and Keelan Adams. So both of us, we have our, you know, our Facebook pages going and we, you know, in addition to the Flatline Church at Chisholm, we're also uh, putting up a lot of news on that. And then, um, if, if there's anyone who's willing to partner with us in, in the area of giving, um, until we get our, which we will be really soon getting the flatline church, giving a portion of the website up to where people won't have to go through our sending mm -hmm. church anymore. Uh, but right now our, our sending church has a way that, uh, you know, if anyone wants to jump on my support team, because I'm currently raising support as a full-time pastor in this area, uh, it is Strong Tower AWP. So that's Strong Tower Washington Park. So strongtowerawp.com. So once you go there, upper uh, so the, uh, the upper right-hand corner, you're going to see a tab, and then you go to Give Now. Click the click the button there uh, that directs you to give, and you're gonna see the Flatline Church drop down. When you choose that option, you can uh, you can put Keelan Adams in the memo, and however much the Lord will put on your heart to give um, a one time, or if you just want to go ahead and, and uh, jump on my support team then you have options there to where it can be okay. recurring. Yeah. And if, if they have, and if they have any questions too, they can, that they can probably contact you, uh, through tactical faith, K Adams at tacticalfaith.com. Um, and, and you can, yes. you can direct them, uh, anyway. Uh, well, Keelan, thank you so much. And, uh, blessings on your ministry down there. And we'd love to learn more. 
Um, we look forward to your to your writings for Tactical Faith as well as future podcasts. Um, but for now, we probably need to sign off. Uh, again, feel free to check uh, check out tacticalfaith.com as well. And if you'd like to contact any of us or you have any questions, um, anything you would like Keelan to talk about uh, in the future, feel free to email him, kadams at tacticalfaith.com, or you can contact me, tcoblentz at tacticalfaith.com. That's T-C-O-B-L-E-N-T-Z at tacticalfaith.com. And please feel free to partner in, in his ministry uh, down in Montgomery. And uh, again, we look forward to talking to you soon, Keelan. Take care. All right. Thank you so much, Travis.